This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. And welcome to By the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan. And with me, as always, my fellow dreamer, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. And today we are joined by our special regular guest, Hanif Baharuddin. And that's because it's time again to do one of our book clubs where we've sort of been steadily been making our way through Neil Gaiman's Sandman graphic novels. And after, what has it been, one and a half years nearly, um, we've come to the end of the series. We've come to the final three books. So we're very excited. We're here to talk about the conclusion of the series, as it were. So today we're going to be talking about um, the uh, the World's End, The Kindly Ones and The Wake, which are basically the last three books of the 10-volume Sandman series. So I just want to say off the bat that um, revisiting... so. Two things. One is I always forget how finishing Sandman makes me feel. I think this is the fourth or fifth time that I'm uh, going through the books from start to finish. And um, I forgot that you always leave the world feeling appropriately, I think, kind of unsatisfied and a little bit sad, but also satisfied and also somewhat happy. And it's a, it's always a real huge mix of emotions because it's it's unsatisfactory because it's a tragedy. It's satisfactory because it's a story well told. It's unhappy because it's a tragedy and you're happy because you got to spend time in such a magical story and so it's it's always this huge mix of feelings i also want to say that officially i know for sure now that i think the last four books of sandman are by far my favorite of the series yeah that's a good one i think yeah this is my first time finishing the series and i feel like oh yeah similar to you lynn i feel like i'm quite sad that yeah i've finished the series it was a somber ending for, for the series uh, surprisingly Going through the wake was pretty difficult for me as, as after the kindly ones uh, because you can sense that even with the wake that there is a shift in tone and everything was slightly different. I s- empathize with Matthew so much uh, <laughs> when I was reading the wake because I think that's what I exactly feel while reading yeah, the wake. <laughs> so that was that. Yeah. Matthew is um, basically Morpheus's raven yes. uh, for those who, <laughs> who may not remember or may not know. But actually, it's interesting, right? Because more than any of the other books in the series, the last two in particular are quite difficult to talk about without giving things away. There are many things that happen um, that are well left to be discovered when you're reading the books on your own. And and so I'm, I'm trying very hard not to give away exactly what happens, except to say that it's nice to have The World's End as a gateway to the next two. Because mm. The World's End is, is is one of those patented Sandman things where you have multiple stories weaving into each other. And Dream or The Sandman is just a sort of a, a cameo in most of those stories. And that's great because the last two are very much about him and, and really the culmination of the journey that we've gone on with him. And it's such a great journey and it ends exactly as you guys said, perfectly and also leaves you just wanting so much more. 
It's very bittersweet, isn't it? And and the thing is that it's interesting reading these back, partly because Neil Gaiman did not necessarily write them in this form, right? He wrote them as serialized comic books. Um, so I think one of the forwards actually mentions Charles Dickens, much like Charles Dickens with his Pickwick Papers, with his Nicholas Nickleby. You know, there was never really any true sense, I think, of uh, how exactly this was going to go. And for that reason, the fact that so many of the ends managed to be tied up is quite marvellous. And I think also it's the reason why tonally these last three books are so much more of a piece than the rest of the, the series. Because I think when you read the collections, even within collections, you can see the leaps from volume to volume. And then when you go from hardcover to hardcover, it's completely different. But these last three, or at least last two, I think, are absolutely meant to be read together. I would include Brief Lives in that, but that just makes it a very long package. But I think that the last plump, the last quarter of Sandman is really meant to be read together. They're companion pieces. I wouldn't read them out of order. Yeah. It was a slightly difficult read uh, if you don't really remember what happened in the previous volumes, right? Because I think I've, yeah, I've been reading them continuously, but I have not been reading them in one go. So I remember trying very hard to remember some of the characters as well while, while I was reading um, and, you know, trying to yeah, yeah, recall you know, who they are and what their roles are in the larger scope of things, right? So, yeah, so there was a bit of that as well um, when I... Uh, started reading the kindly ones and the kindly ones being a very tight affair I, I I enjoy that but at the same time yeah I had to go through like think about okay you know they're finally calling back this character that first made an appearance I guess in volume 2 or something right so that was pretty interesting because you, you know for a fact that they're trying to tie it up right and it feels like yeah that was the the end game part of the series yeah I like that you said end game because <laughs> it, it does feel like the pre-MCU MCU almost <laughs> ironic because it's under DC yeah. but you're right and, and kindly ones is really it's a it's a fat graphic novel mm. and so much happens in it um, but it's really where you see I think a lot of disparate characters that you've kind of gotten to know throughout the series some who just had small bits some who had these asides that you sort of wondered why are we hearing about these people's lives all really coming together in such a perfect way and it's such a great insight into a great writer and and someone who's meticulously planned this story out. Kindly Ones is easily my favorite book of the 10 collections. But it's difficult for me to say that because it's such a difficult read. I had to take a break. I, I knew it was coming, but I'd also forgotten the kinds of feelings it brings up in me. And I had to take a break after it. And that's because it's, I think everything about it, the art, the the stories, the language, um, the mythology that it draws on, it's all quite terrifying like it, it it feels like you're watching a really well-made horror movie sometimes but it's also a psychological horror isn't it i i think that that is actually one of the true um difficulties and joys of reading sandman is that it is sure i mean it, it's he visits nightmare you know he makes nightmares the corinthian reappears there, there are all these things that are deeply frightening and terrifying really in sandman but what is scariest for me at least is the fact that you see echoes of yourself in the characters and in particular for someone like dream or morpheus uh, specifically and the ways in which he cannot change the ways in which we know from the very beginning that there are limits to how much and how far he will go to interrogating himself to finding any sort of liberation or freedom, just to, to all these things. And I think that when you read The Kindly Ones, what you are seeing is a very 
elaborate, painful playing out of that personality trait. And for anyone, I think, who has a fatal flaw, and like all of us do, and who recognises that there are ways in which our fatal flaws can trap us, that's kind of the pain of reading The Kindly Ones, um, aside from everything else. Yeah, he is also Morpheus, I mean, a bit more talkative in The Kindly Ones, surprisingly. Yes. Yeah, slightly a bit more. And I, the, the change in his, yeah, in his mood and the way he was written, yeah, in, in, the, in, the, yeah, in The Kindly Ones was kind of interesting as well. Because I, I can immediately tell that, oh, okay, Morpheus is a bit more, I mean, granted, he can be sometimes philosophical here and there. But he was surprisingly more talkative, you know, based on my immediate observation after, you know, you know, as I was going through it. And I was like, oh, okay, pr- perhaps, yeah, they are building up to something, right? And and the way everything sort of like uh, falls into the whole, like, you know, towards the end, it makes it very, very like, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it, as much as it's well told, it was also like a very sad journey that I yeah, I was struggling to, to I mean, I, I can't stop reading, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, okay, this is not something that I, I'm, I'm going to look forward to. But when it ended, yeah, it ended pretty quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious, because of how many times I've read this, and, and Lynn's also, this is a reread for you. Did you expect that this was how it was going to end? Did you have any inkling? Was Did this take you by surprise? Because for me, the first time I read it, it completely caught me by surprise, blindsided me. To be fair, it was teased out at the end of World's End, right? So I was sort of like expecting that. And I think based on the way the story was written, um, how things are panning out, I was like pretty much ready for it to end. But I was expecting a bit more quote-unquote blockbuster-ish in Sandman style ending but yeah when it ended yeah, it ended pretty quickly but, I mean if you read American Gods Gaiman had a quote about you know how real fights end you know in split seconds right so I guess maybe this is Gaiman carrying I mean doing it in that sense right yeah so it was pretty yeah abrupt abrupt and kind of sad We're talking about Neil Gaiman's Sandman, the acclaimed graphic novel series. We've been reviewing our way through them with Hanif and we're finally at the end of the series. Let us know, are you a fan of the graphic novels? Are you a fan of um, comics and graphic novels in general? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89 Point nine. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila, Lynn and Hanif. And we're doing one of our semi-regular book clubs where we work our way through reviewing the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman. And we're at the end. We've made it through a journey of 10 books. And we've been talking about the stories. I wanted to take a short detour into the art and the way the, the books look. Because for me, the art overall is great. But I really feel that particularly for the last three volumes, there's a real distinctness, a real care put into the emotions they want to depict and the way the art reflects that. There's a great, great, great part in World's End where basically... There are these huge panels of someone's funeral. And hands down, even without words, I tear up when I look at that artwork. And it's so powerful. And I was just wondering whether for you the art stood out in any way in these three compared to the rest of the works. I think so. Um, And I think so partly because... 
In the case of the kindly ones, right, it is among the simplest of arts uh, that you see throughout the book. It, it's it's very um, comic in, in the truest sense of the word. It's not hyper-detailed. It's a lot of straight lines, angular faces. And um, and I think that it's really fascinating, partly because the story of the kindly ones is so deep, right? Um, it is about wide-ranging vengeance. It is about somebody going mad and also kind of entering a mythological space. It is about um, accessing in some ways primordial forces. And I'm trying not to spoil what it the, what the book covers, even though it's in the title, but it does all those things and it does so with really simple art. And I think that that's interesting because for me, the art in the wake is among my favorite. I think it's the most beautiful. It's sort of dreamlike. It, it, it's beautifully colored. It's just very classical. It is. Yeah. It, it's, it's a book that I enjoy looking at. But when I read The Kindly Ones, I think the art punches you in the face and you kind of need that for, uh, for that particular story. Mm. Okay, I'm, I, I think my take is going to be slightly controversial, quote-unquote, Che. I don't know, lah, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We uh, always love controversy <laughs> on this show. To be honest, I recognize that the inconsistency in the, the art for Sandman as both its strength and its weakness in the sense that I know for the story that it's trying to tell that, you know, they always change the artist is like a both good and bad thing. And I always feel a bit hit and miss when it comes to um, the previous uh, volumes. It's just that for this particular one, I think I agree with Lynn. Um, the roughness of the kindly ones make, I guess, the story pretty, I guess it, it punches you, right? As Lynn said. But at, at the same time, because I've always had this struggle with the way Salomon has always been drawn, as much as I enjoyed, you know, how different they are all the time. I always feel like it's always... It's good, but at the same time, maybe it's not classically beautiful, like classically pretty, you know, like all the other graphic novels. And because it's inconsistent as well uh, by choice, I'm sure, sometimes it can be like a bit difficult to somehow go through all that. But I've always appreciated it for what it is. So the kind of ones, the fact that they chose like a more rough style was pretty interesting for me. Uh, I guess it fits the whole story as well. But the minute they changed the art style from the kind of ones to the wig, you can tell that it was also a tonal shift, right? That it was the beginning of something new quote unquote and therefore the artwork changes as well and as much as it's beautiful in a, in a classical way I feel like it's a bit you can tell that, that it was done on purpose to sort of like tell a different different story because it's already technically a different story a new story right so um, I like it but at the same time surprisingly I was like mm, okay I kind of miss the old style as well as much as I've been quite <laughs> critical of it yeah, because I'm like mm, okay this, this looks this fits Sandman you know if they were to tell the story of Sandman using this artwork for the f- ten vo- for all the 10 volumes it'll be fine but at the same time I'm like which I'm, oh I kind of miss the the you know the quirkiness of all the other volumes and as much as this looks beautiful it also feels different because it's no longer about your favorite character or something like that yeah so i both appreciate and acknowledge the wake as a new chapter to a certain extent but a different chapter So I I read um, all three at a go, more or less. Um, I I read them in kind of a marathon reading session over the course of a, a day, a day and a half. And because of that, the wake for me was a relief. Um, and, and I think that that's the effect or that's the difference between maybe taking your time with it and then shifting and suddenly going, oh, this is this is a whole new thing versus perhaps anticipating it. And so when you get there, you're like, oh, okay, we're done with that. The kindly ones is over. And now we're in the aftermath. We're in the rebuilding. And, and it's bittersweet like anything else. But I guess I appreciate it for that particular quality. I agree. Um, I picked up the wake immediately after I'd finished. Kindly one had a... And then I put it back down because I needed a break. But I could see that it's like you can... It's very muted. The wake is very muted and, and the panels are large. It feels like 
people are also still in many ways. And I think that suits the story it's trying to tell. It's breathing. The, yes. the book feels like there's a breath being taken, whereas the kindly ones is just sort of breathless and barreling forward. Um, I, I wanted to bring something up, which is something that uh, we've discussed from the beginning. So I wanted to bring it through to the end. And that is the unlikability of certain characters. So we've discussed how Morpheus, in some ways, is not the easiest hero to get along with. You know, he's very opaque. He's difficult. Sometimes he's rude. And he, of course, gets more sympathetic towards the end, partly because of all the experiences of previous books softening him. On the other hand, you have someone like Hippolyta, who is a mother who is very badly mistreated by Morpheus in the early pages of the book and reappears now. Uh, you also have someone who goes by Larissa. Um, she goes by many names within the book. And I found it interesting that there are characters who are just fundamentally unlikable and you're not meant to like them and how that is very much the product of, again, strong story. So that's interesting, right? Because I came away actually, as even with characters like Larissa and Hippolyta, feeling a lot more sympathetic of them by the end of the series in that I don't support some of the things or actually most of the things they do, but I can understand why they did it. And perhaps that if I were in their place, I might have done that too. Um, very different from characters like, um, you know, and, and, and I'm going to throw out names, which if you haven't read the series are going to sound weird. Loki, for instance, or, or even to a certain extent, Desire, who is Dream's um, sibling, who with whom I find it a lot more difficult to empathize because these are sort of beings. They're not human. And so their motivations are more difficult to understand. But the human characters I found with the Sandman series are always deeply human, human to the point where even if I don't like what they're doing, I find it very difficult to dislike them completely. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Charmila. Yeah, I think I can be sympathetic towards uh, all the human characters as well. Maybe with the session of, uh, well, they're not technically human, but the kindly ones. Yeah, they're, they're a bit mean, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> the kindly <laughs> ones are tough because they almost defy any category. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but but characters like Lita Hall, uh, these these are the characters that as much as you get annoyed at them, I can still sympathize with them. Loki, yeah, Loki was a bit difficult to, to deal with. But Lita Hall was, as much as I got annoyed at how things pan out, I was able to, to be sympathetic towards her. So I bring up the uh, unlikableness, not to say that they are unsympathetic. And, mm -hmm. and that's part of what I mean, right? The fact that you have characters who are fundamentally unlikable. And I, and I bring up uh, Lita, not because I dislike her, but because interestingly, um, I felt as if the forwards, the writers of the forwards really disliked her. They, they kept describing her in terms that I didn't agree with, which is funny for a series of books which ultimately are very much focused on feminine rage as well. I wasn't sure that the idea of depicting somebody as a demented shrew was maybe the best idea, but um, but I actually was thinking more about someone like Larissa, who I find difficult. And I just wanted to explain why. I think it's because so much of Sandman, we've talked about the philosophy, we've talked about the, the layering of literature and story and all the rest of it. But a lot of it is also about how you are what you are or you are an aspect of what you are, you are a facet of what you are. And um, all the other things that we've talked about, the kindly ones have a function, they fulfill it, they must. All of the uh, endless also, they have a function, they fulfill it, they must. The humans, on the other hand, it's a little bit trickier. And that's why I struggle with someone like, like Larissa, because 
that's a choice, you know, and, and I don't agree with your choices. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, I was going to ask you guys as a, as a closing what you think Sandman is actually about. But the Larissa example is great because I think, for me at least, by the end of the series, the series makes a very clear distinction between the characters that can change or understand the value of change and the characters who don't. And for me... I don't know whether this is what I felt every time I reread The Sandman, but certainly this time, that sense came through very, very strongly. Even characters like Larissa, right? The reason they do what they do, the reason that they feel stuck to a certain extent, lighter, is all because of an inability to deal with what change means, which is something that Morpheus himself has struggled with throughout the series. And in many ways, the series is about Morpheus understanding and accepting change. As you sum it up perfectly, I agree with the whole summary, especially because uh, at the end of the day, I think you can tell that even Morpheus recognized that. Right? And when he recognized it, I was like, okay, yeah. And the fact that he had to struggle to, to be able to recognize it, and, and this is how he had to deal with it, right? The fact that this is, in one way or another, this is how he has to face what it is. And that's his quote-unquote lesson, I suppose. Uh, it, was, it was pretty, I don't know, maybe sobering for him. And I guess the fact that he managed to somehow admit to it, it was like pretty interesting for me, yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that uh, change is absolutely the, the theme of the books, right? And it's partly because um, it, it's partly because of the nature of dream itself, which is very changeable. I just wanted to point out that I think the, the element of storytelling is also so important. You know, so much of Sandman is an argument in favor of stories, um, mm -hmm. particularly in this latter uh, push, right? It's, it's the stories that we tell about one another. It's the stories that endure. It's the stories that become ideas, that become dreams, that become things that drive us. And Sandman, in many ways, aside from just being a great tale with good characters, with really complex characters, is also an argument in favour of story and its value. That couldn't have been a better ending for our discussion. I feel a little bit sad that we've come to the end of this journey. But thank you, Hanif, for doing it with us. And I just wanted to ask, are you going to reread? Definitely, yeah, definitely. Maybe later, but yeah, I'll definitely will, I definitely will reread the series again. We've been book clubbing the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, the final three books at least, which are World's End, The Kindly Ones and The Wake. Uh, and that kind of caps our 10 edition book club of the entire series together with Hanif. Let us know if you've read them. Let us know what other graphic novels you've enjoyed and that you'd like to recommend. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. us to footnotes and to sort of cap off this journey that we've come on, I thought it would be fun to talk about the idea of adaptations, right? Because Sandman is one of those things that we've seen conversations happen around this idea of we're going to make a TV series, we're going to make movies and they kept falling through and now finally we seem to be at a, at, at sort of the, the beginning of a TV series coming into our world's Pretty soon, actually. It's a Netflix show. Uh, we've also had an audio drama come out over the last year, which has been getting some pretty good feedback. I want to know what you guys think in terms of Sandman as an adaptation. No, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I Look, I, I think that 
When I think about the grand imaginary worlds that have been adapted over the years, I guess most recently Game of Thrones, but previously Lord of the Rings, and and um, there is a huge satisfaction, and I understand it, in seeing the visuals of what you're talking about translated on screen. When it goes wrong, you have... Um, <laughs> Sorry, you know what I'm going to say. When it goes wrong, you have Watchmen. But I think that in the case of Sandman, we ended our discussion earlier on the question of what is it about? And I think that I just don't see how all the things that we think it's about could be translated on screen in a meaningful way. I think um, if it were like Watchmen, the TV series, as opposed to Watchmen, the movie, then um, we'd be we'd be cooking with something. But right now, as is, if it's a straight adaptation, I'm not looking forward to the endless fan arguments, <laughs> endless, um, about who should play who or what it should look like or why did you cut out this storyline um, or the the inevitable retcons that are going to happen because there are things that I think will will necessarily, you know, that's going to happen. I, I don't know. I'm just not keen. Yeah, same here. I'm not looking forward to it at all. Yeah, in fact, I don't even want, yeah, I want them to do it. But uh, here's the thing. I think there are some things that you shouldn't even adapt, right? And I think when it comes to, like, and I understand the need to perhaps, you know, adapt books because that's, that's like, you know, you need the, you need, sometimes you need the help with visualization, right? So that's understandable. But when it comes to graphic novels, I don't think you should even attempt it. I mean, sometimes some graphic novels are not worth attempting. And I feel like when it comes to the um, Sandman, yeah, you shouldn't even try, I suppose. Not, not, not to stifle people's creativity, right? I think, yeah, people should be allowed to do what they want to do. But at the same time, Sandman is such a complex and it's something that it's already fine as is, right? You know, existing as a graphic novel and with a lot of like the crookedness of the series, the way it goes everywhere at one point, uh, how do you even, yeah, translate that to, to, to television, right? And I'm curious, you know, but at the same time, will it be fair to say that if, you know, as a fan of Sandman, like, can I ignore this and not care at all? Because yeah, I, I don't want it. To, I don't want my 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 attachment to Sandman be, I guess, interfered by by all these other you know disruptions, right? As much as I, to be honest, I'm quite curious to see how they pull it off. Yeah, as much as I'm curious about that, I'm still a bit hesitant and reluctant to. Yeah. I don't know if I would have the discipline to do that. For me, if they do it, I'll watch it for sure. Because I'd be curious because of FOMO. Um, but I'm not convinced and I don't think I ever have been that they'll ever be able to do it justice. Um, and just for many reasons, right? Lynn, you mentioned the visuals and I'm just thinking, even with all the capacity we have today to produce visuals on screen, I'm not convinced that they'll be able to even recreate a tenth of the visuals that we get from the graphic novels because it's a combination of imagination and what you see. I don't see how they're going to do that on screen. Never mind dream. You know, let's not talk about the dreaming, right? Mm. Which is the, the heart of the story. Let's talk about hell. Um, that happens very early on in in the, the books. How are they going to do hell? Um, I mean, you know, if you if you look at the way that it's done in the the book, it's not like anything that we've seen really on screen, and that there's a lot of subtlety to it. There's a lot of I don't know. I just I I, I can't picture it. I I suppose I do think that I would like to see if at all. Um, I think it's important that the the adaptation plays to the strengths of its medium. And and I think the best adaptations always do. So the fear of it just being a translation of like to like, I, I don't know. I think that there are certain things that television can do that certainly a movie would never. I, I think a movie would really be, find it very hard to encapsulate Sandman. But I don't know. I mean, there, there are a couple of panels right after 
tragedies or right before tragedies in Sandman, where it's just a close-up of his face. Mm-hmm. It's so impactful. Yeah. I, I don't know what would work as well. Will we feel better if it's an animated series? Though? I was just thinking <laughs> that. Um, and I was thinking potentially I might be able to get behind it. But I don't know, because what I was going to say was there's something about all of the Endless Dream and his siblings, some of the other characters, which I feel just cannot be captured if you literally bring them to life. It's got to do with a combination of the storytelling and and the dialogue and the way they are placed within a frame. Um, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I go back to thinking that the reason these no- graphic novels work so well is that they require you to reach with your, with your thoughts and with your imagination to meet it and, and create a story. Mm. And when it's filmed, somehow I think that process is missing. Um, I don't think any actor will be able to embody Dream. I, I just don't think anyone will be able to capture how he is. Mm. And then, of course, all of those tonal shifts because of the art, um, TV shows and films need consistency visually. They cannot veer wildly from looking like one thing to another. I didn't expect this to become us all being so <laughs> against the idea. But so but yes, I realise I'm increasingly feeling very negative about ever seeing any adaptations of this. Yeah, and I think the best thing about The Sandman is that it's literary, right? It's more like reading a book rather than, you know, like your typical graphic novel. And I and, and, and as a first timer, I always I feel that a lot when it, when it comes to reading Sandman, that you're not actually reading like your typical graphic novel, but you're actually reading a book with pictures. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that process because it feels very, very different from all the other graphic novels that I've read. As you know, you, you have other graphic novels that are heavy as well. But at the same time, the way Sandman approaches things feels very different. And yeah, how do you even attempt those things, right? And it, it it's it's such a difficult, such a dense read sometimes that how do you even translate that to like other medium, other format, right? Yeah. Does the audio format work though? I haven't listened to the audio drama other than like clips. I wonder whether that might work better. I'm less opposed. <laughs> I don't know if, if <laughs> Me that's too. I, I don't know why, but I'm less opposed to just hearing it versus having to see it. God's come. And gods go. Mortals flicker and flash and fade. Worlds don't last. Stars and galaxies are transient, fleeting things that twinkle like fireflies and vanish into cold and dust. But when the first living thing drew breath, he was there, waiting with his siblings. The Endless. When the last living thing has left this universe, their task will be done. His realm is the dreaming, the world of sleep and imagination. He is Dream, Lord Morpheus, and he must learn to change or die. So... We arrive at where we began, I suppose, which is that none of us particularly want to see Sandman adapted for the screen, although we're quite happy to give it rereads. Yes. Yeah, but also, I mean, think about it. It's all about how Morpheus is unwilling to change. Are we (laughs) inevitably becoming like him? Oh, Oh, that's a perfect (laughs) metaphor. On that note, Hanif, thank you for joining us for this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Yeah, it's been fun.
We've been talking about the Sandman uh, graphic novel series, both the books as well as whether we want to see them adapted for the screen. Let us know what you think. Um, yes, no, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.